Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. This week, we're going to look back on a few of my favorite interviews from the last several months. In segment three, you're going to hear my conversation with Doug Ullman. He's the executive director of the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Lance Armstrong has announced that he's coming back to competitive racing, and he's going to be using his appearances in the race world to give himself an increased platform to promote cancer research. If you thought Lance Armstrong battled hard with cycling, he's battling even harder to fight cancer. Doug Ullman is his right-hand man. Doug Ullman is a cancer survivor himself. We'll talk to Doug Ullman in segment three of this week's show. In segment four, we'll look back on my conversation with NBA Commissioner David Stern in honor of the NBA season getting underway this week. We had a chance to catch up with Commissioner Stern a few months ago. We'll look back on that conversation as the NBA season gets underway this week. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by my producer, Bobby Corser. Bobby, boy, Bud Selig, if you remember back to 2002, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in Milwaukee, the game was called by Bud Selig because the American League and the National League ran out of pitchers. And I remember the press conference, as I wrote in my blog this week, he looked like a deer in headlights. He was completely unprepared for that scenario. Well, here we are six years later, and another scenario arises this week where rain affects Game 5. And uh, again, once again, completely unprepared for this situation. Absolutely. And you know, you can't control the weather, but he's he is so thankful that Tampa Bay was able to score that second run and tie it because there's no way in the world he he would have he would have had to quit as commissioner if he would have given the you know the trophy to Philadelphia on a rain shortened game five and they win four one. Well, and then he tried to, and we'll talk about this in headline, but he tried to blame the weather forecasters like it's their fault that they couldn't. I mean, you're a weather guy, it, you know, you do the best job you can do. Absolutely. I mean, listen, you can interpret data and maps all day long. But, you know, in the end, Mother Nature always wins out. And it's as your job as a weather guy is to interpret the best you can. You can't stop it. You can't make it rain. I mean, unless you're ch- the Chinese, but that's a whole different story. Well, the worst news for Major League Baseball, and we'll get to this coming up next in headlines, I don't think anyone cares about the World Series outside of Philadelphia and Tampa. We will give you the miserable TV numbers for the World Series. And I'll give you a solution for what I think needs to happen with the World Series to get interest Once again, that's coming up next in Headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. 
With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the World Series. Boy, if the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Cubs, the Dodgers aren't in the World Series, you can pretty much kiss the World Series TV ratings goodbye. And with Tampa and Philadelphia in this World Series, the TV numbers have been absolutely miserable. Uh, in Game 3, it was the lowest-rated World Series game ever. After a rain delay of 90 minutes, the game ended at 1.47 a.m. Eastern Time. So not many people outside of Philadelphia and Tampa were watching the game. Then, Bobby, as we discussed in Segment 1, in Game 5, we basically had slip and slide. And, you know, if you watched B.J. Upton tried to steal bases, I mean, the guy's hydroplaning around the bases. Pitchers are falling off the mound. I mean, it was like it, it was like comedy. And to me, I don't understand. Bud Selig once again is caught off guard. He blames the weather forecasters for not giving him the right weather forecast. He's very lucky, as you said, that uh, Pena hit the uh, game-tying Single to bring Upton in to tie the game at two, but it just was. You had the feeling that Major League Baseball once again was caught with their pants down. Oh, I completely agree. It's it's a brutal thing to try and watch TV during a rain delay. You know, and for Game Three, technical difficulties. We understand that happens, but when you have people tuning into a game that they know is close and it's rain delayed, and all you hear from Major League Baseball is, "Oh, we're going to try and get it started again, try and get it started again, try and get it started again," and it doesn't happen. Instantly, everybody just turns the TV off and they'll go find something else. And when they come out on, you know, earlier this week saying, hey, we're going to try and play the game one day. Oh, wait, the weather's not going to cooperate, so we're just going to push it back. Here's what needs to happen. The World Series, again, if you look at the last five or six years, when the Red Sox are not playing in the World Series, the TV numbers go down and down and down to the worst ever. This year's World Series, worst TV numbers ever. So what do I think Major League Baseball needs to do? They'll probably never do it, but they need to decrease the number of games in the regular season. 162 games is too many games. The World Series should be played in August when the weather is warmer, when people are more compelled to watch baseball, and before football and basketball seasons start. Because let's be honest, regular season NFL games are crushing World Series games in the TV ratings, the NBA season started this week. Once football and basketball start, people outside of the markets that are in the playoffs, the casual fan turns baseball off, and the TV numbers reflect that. So the owners and the players, especially the owners, have to stop being greedy pigs, cut the season by 30 games. I know you're going to lose some revenue at the gate, but you know what? For the interest of the game and so the World Series doesn't become an afterthought for everyone, the World Series needs to take place earlier in the year when the weather is better and people are engaged in baseball still. I completely agree with you. You know, maybe trim back the number of, you know, interleague games. 
just you know, maybe just go back to the traditional American League stays in the American National League only stays there. I don't know if I like that, but I, I just think somewhere along the way the schedule needs to be cut. 162 games is too many games, and you know what? With the economy slumping like it is. Not many people can go to that many games. I mean, I know some people split their season tickets four or five ways and you share them with friends, but that's so many games to go to over the course of the season and people start to lose interest. My only argument against staying in your own league is it makes for a compelling thing come the playoff time and come the World Series because you don't know. I mean, we see these teams play each other throughout the course of the year, but it makes more sense. You have an intrigue for nationally. Hey, how are they going to match up against this team? I just think personally it'd be a better way to go. Well, the other thing that baseball needs to do is someone with a brain needs to become commissioner because Bud Selig, time and time again, looks like a buffoon at these press conferences, looks like he's never thought these situations or scenarios out, and he just looks like uh, he doesn't look very commissioner-like or presidential, and uh, I think someone else could do a better job. So I look forward to the day where Commissioner Selig steps aside. All right, enough of my soapbox. Our next headline, Chevrolet National Promotions Manager Phil Caruso said this week that the car maker has made a significant amount of spending cutbacks to all of its sports marketing programs, particularly with regard to promotions and other supplementary marketing in support of its core sponsorships. This means if you're a NASCAR team or if you're Major League Baseball, even the NFL, there are going to be serious cutbacks. Uh, The automaker has seen its stock plummet by 76% this year. In July, they announced a $10 billion corporate cost-cutting program. They said they're not buying a commercial in the Super Bowl for the first time in a long time. So, again, we've talked about the economy many times on this show in the last few weeks. Here's another big company saying, look— we're making cutbacks, and we're starting with our sports advertising. Absolutely. It's a smart place to go. And earlier this week, GM even went to the federal government and said, hey, can we get in this buyout package because it will give us more money. They're not going to be able to use that for marketing. They're only going to be able to you know, help them increase their bottom line and hopefully sell some cars. The thing that will hurt is NASCAR next year because those teams that need the money this year are pretty locked in. But come next season, when you know Chevy wants to buy sponsorships or teams need money from Chevy, it's not going to be there. And hopefully if they do get any government support, they don't turn out like AIG and go on a a multi-million dollar party spree uh, in the Rocky Mountains somewhere. Our next headline, the Saints beat the Chargers 37-32 last weekend at London's Wembley Stadium in the NFL's second regular season game played in Europe. Uh, Very, very good game. Bobby, 83,000 plus on hand for the game, so great turnout by the fans. And last year, uh, not a very compelling game. This year, a much more compelling game. Lots of scoring and really a good showing by the NFL. You know, it it felt like a soccer atmosphere to me watching on TV. And we're on the West Coast, so it was on a little bit earlier for us here. But it felt very much like a soccer feel for an NFL football game. And I think the fans in London really appreciate it. And I know a lot of people made the trip over. But still, it had a great kind of almost like a college atmosphere to it. Speaking of the NFL and the NBA, our last headline of the week, this is an interesting partnership. Last week we told you about the Yankees and the Dallas Cowboys getting together on a concessions company. This week we learn that the Dallas Mavericks and the Dallas Cowboys are going to be hosting the 2010 NBA All-Star Game. It's going to be played at the new Dallas Cowboys Stadium, the 1.1 
billion-dollar Dallas Cowboys Stadium. The stadium seats between eighty to 100,000 people. So, Bobby, this will be interesting. Again, you know, Jerry Jones and the Cowboys have said that they want that facility to be used for things outside of just football games, and this is a great thing. And for Mark Cuban and the Mavericks, you can fit a whole lot more people in the Cowboys Stadium than you can in your own stadium, American Airlines Arena. And one of the biggest problems with All-Star Games is if you're a season ticket holder, you usually don't get to go to the All-Star Game because sponsors get the tickets and they get first dibs. For this All-Star Game, that won't be a problem because there will be so many seats. If you're a Dallas Mavericks season ticket holder, you're going to be able to go to this game, which is good news for Mavericks fans. Absolutely. You know, it will be the highest attended you know, NBA All-Star Game ever. Because, listen, most venues around the NBA seat anywhere from, you know, 20, you know, somewhere around 20,000 fans, which is great. You know, we here in Portland, we have the Rose Garden. We've never had the NBA All-Star Game. We're just too small. But to put it in a venue like this, you know, it's like the, it, going back to the college reference. It's like watching the, the, the Final Four tournament, say, when they played in Indianapolis or in Detroit. When they put it in a big stadium, it has that great feel, and you get so many more people. It's just it's a cool atmosphere to you know partake. Well, in Lucas Oil Stadium, you may remember we had Bill Polian, the president of the Colts, on uh, earlier this year, and he discussed how the NCAA tournament, which the NCAA is based in Indianapolis, they will be playing the NCAA tournament every few years at the new Lucas Oil Stadium. So another case where basketball is going to one of these enormous, you know, over $1 billion stadiums. All right, coming up next, Doug Ullman. We'll look back on our conversation with him. He's the executive director of the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Lance Armstrong, quite possibly the most charitable athlete on the planet, has probably raised more money for charity than any other athlete in the history of sports. Maybe Andre Agassi is a close second. But those yellow wristbands and all the money for cancer research, we're going to talk to the guy who's in charge of all of those efforts, Doug Oldman with the Lance Armstrong Foundation. That's coming up next. And then after that, NBA Commissioner David Stern will look back on our conversation with him in honor of the NBA season starting this week. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Doug Ullman. He's the president of the Lance Armstrong Foundation. He's a three-time cancer survivor himself, and he's been with the Lance Armstrong Foundation since 2001. Doug, thanks so much for making time on Sports Business Radio. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, obviously, big news this week that Lance Armstrong is going to return to competitive racing but I get the feeling that this comeback is a lot more than just a return to competitive racing. It seems that by racing again, 
Lance is going to have a bigger platform in his continued fight against cancer. Do you think that's a pretty accurate assessment on my part? Absolutely. I mean, this this is um, an opportunity of a lifetime to put this disease and, and the burden that it causes our society uh, on the global stage. And uh, that's a huge motivation for uh, for Lance and what, what he's uh, preparing to do. How did you first meet Lance? That's an interesting story. I was a college athlete uh, at Brown University when I was first diagnosed with cancer. And uh, there was a gentleman who was following cycling and writing for the International Herald Tribune who sent Lance an article about my story, and he uh, emailed me out of the blue. Um, and this was back in 1997, and I was not a cycling fan and didn't know much about his story. And uh, that's how we first met and started communicating. And uh, I was in the nonprofit cancer world and uh, involved in, in starting an organization. And uh, we hit, we connected and, and uh, moved down to Austin about seven and a half years ago to help him uh, run the foundation. And then you were elevated to president of the foundation. Uh, talk about your interaction with Lance, if you would, as president of his foundation. Sure. I took over the role as president uh, in January of 2007, so about 19 months ago. And um, it's been obviously a very exciting time. I mean, uh, Lance and I are, are, are very close uh, in terms of the way we communicate on a, on a daily and, and usually multiple times each day. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, in his retirement for the last three, three and a half years, um, he's been so fully engaged in, in this grassroots movement that we know is Livestrong. Uh, and so many things have happened that, that have really elevated this disease uh, and the way we attack it uh, here in the United States. And um, we, we see a huge opportunity to do the same uh, overseas. The Lance Armstrong Foundation, my research tells me, has raised well over $265 million for cancer research. Everyone knows about the yellow Live Strong bracelets. They're commonplace all across the globe. Uh, why do you think people are so compelled to give to the Lance Armstrong Foundation as opposed to other cancer-related nonprofits? Well, you know, there are a lot of great organizations out there, many of which uh, we partner with. I think ultimately people are struck by, um, obviously, Lance's story, his own personal battle and, and comeback uh, initially, uh, and, and really his authenticity. I mean, uh, this is a grassroots organization. We have one office in Austin, Texas, and we have thousands and hundreds of thousands of volunteers across the country and around the world who who really are the heart and soul of our organization. And, um, you know, we're about helping people and involving people and mobilizing people uh, to fight this disease. And so I think people are inspired by Lance's story, but they're also uh, empowered through our organization to be a part of it and to uh, and to really see the impact that they can have as individuals. You know, I'm based in Portland, so I've been to the Nike campus. I've seen the Lance Armstrong building. I've been out to a few of his Live Strong rides, and I've seen his legions of fans. And, you know, I've got to tell you, Doug, I'm sure you see it every day, but, you know, I haven't seen too many people, athlete or otherwise, that can really rally the troops like Lance can. I mean, he's really a, a motivating guy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I tell people all the time, um, I am continually amazed and inspired by his dedication and, and obviously easy for me to say, having worked with him for many years now. Um, but when I see him speak to, to a hundred or 500 or thousands of people, um, the passion that he conveys and the commitment that he conveys, it still uh, affects me uh, as a cancer survivor and, and makes me want to go out and do more. And uh, obviously we're blessed with an incredible relationship uh, with Nike and, and many people in the Portland community. And, 
and you know, in, in towns big and small across the country, people uh, want to see the eradication of this disease. And uh, it's just, it's, it's inspiring to watch. And, and for me, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to be a part of it. I'm joined by Doug Ullman. He's the president of the Lance Armstrong Foundation. He's based in Austin, Texas. Maybe talk for a moment about how much Lance has changed since you first got to meet him. I mean, one of the things that I've seen is I've seen a guy who didn't see real comfortable in front of the camera or in, you know, big gatherings. And now he's as poised as anyone that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, he is um, he does not uh, inherently sometimes display uh, the characteristics that you would uh, see in a uh, seasoned politician, uh, someone who's always out and about and shaking hands and 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 uh, and, and doing those types of things in public. Um, and I think you know I think he's he's grown and matured uh, over the last several years. And I've seen a, a huge uh, a change in terms of his uh, political uh, awareness and and his desire to to impact. Uh, this disease at, at a at a political and a policy level, um, and you know, as with all of us, I think we just we learn over time, and uh, and our experiences dictate kind of where we go in the future. And I think with with this uh, new decision to to come back and ride again, it was the same thing. I mean, a huge opportunity to uh, to influence the way uh, our world uh, fights cancer. So, I mean, you've mentioned that a few times in this interview, and. Obviously, you know, it's a challenge big enough just to try and get people here in the United States to see how serious cancer is and get them to reach in their pocket and give. But now it seems like you're really going to target the international audience. What are your plans for targeting uh, the people outside the borders of the United States? A lot of things have happened in the last three years and, and more importantly, the last 12 months here in the States. We're awaiting the introduction of major cancer legislation from Senator Kennedy and Senator Hutchison. Um, we've got 24 states in this country that are smoke-free, plus the District of Columbia. I mean, the, the disease has really been elevated. And when we look across the world, what we see is um, that this is a disease that kills more than 8 million people this year. Uh, it's a disease that still has a huge stigma associated with it. Uh, it's a disease that doesn't get a lot of attention uh, on the global scale as, as other uh, health and non-health-related uh, issues. Um, and so we're starting from from that standpoint, and uh, and we're excited to to kind of delve into this, and we think there's a real opportunity to change the course of this disease forever. You know, we see athletes sometimes, Michael Jordan. We're looking at Brett Favre right now, who come back, and sometimes you just kind of wince and go, "Oh gosh, you know, I hope they don't tarnish their reputation, or I hope they don't come back and you know their their best days athletically are behind them." But um, does, do you think Lance has any concerns about, uh, you know, what if he comes back and races and he's not the Lance that he was uh, three, four years ago? Yeah, you know, I, I, obviously he uh, he's the only one that, that knows that uh, for sure, and, 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 uh, and I don't want to speak for him on that, but, but I will tell you that, that this comeback is so driven by uh, the people that we have interacted with over the last several years that, that are a part of this Livestrong army in this movement. And I, last night I was up late reading uh, just all the posts on, on our blog uh, at livestrong.org and, and just reading, a, you know, people's messages. Uh, one that, that stands out was a guy who is starting chemotherapy on Friday and said that this, this has just totally meant the world to him in terms of how he's going to attack his treatment in the coming weeks. And, 
you know, when you when you see things like that and when you hear things like that every day and you meet those people, um, you realize that, uh, well, at least from my perspective, there's no um, there's no possible uh, or possibility of, of tarnishing any uh, uh, of any legacy. In fact, it, it, it will only strengthen that. Well, I'll tell you a story. I don't even know if you've heard it, but here in Portland at one of the Livestrong rides, there was a woman, I'd guess she was in her 40s. She had terminal cancer. She literally, her family said she kept herself alive just long enough to meet Lance. And Lance met her at the race, and she took probably 10 steps with her family's assistance, met Lance, and literally that next week died. And her family again said that she stayed alive because of her will to meet Lance. I mean, that was so powerful to me. I don't think I'd seen too many things as powerful as that before. It's it's um, it's continually inspiring, and you think about, you know, doing that for one person would be enough, um, and yet doing that for for hundreds and thousands and, and millions of people around the world um, is, is so much more. And so, uh, I will tell you, as somebody who's been in this world and, and who's a cancer survivor, hearing stories like that never gets never gets old. Um, unfortunately, however, in the future. Uh, that woman uh, should still be with us, right? And uh, and I think that's what motivates all of us at the foundation. And and we know that uh, that there are brighter days ahead for for people who are affected by this disease. Doug, just a few more questions. Um, with Lance out of the spotlight in the last few years, how did that affect donations to LAF? Did they not really miss a beat, or were they down a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We didn't miss a beat. Uh, the organization continues to grow. Uh, when I moved to Austin, we had uh, three employees. We now have 73 employees. Um, we continue to grow, and, and in fact, Lance's uh, retirement allowed him to spend much more time uh, with the foundation uh, on a daily basis, and, and ultimately things like Prop 15 and, and other activities would not have been possible without his uh, you know, real strong engagement. What can we look for in the future? You know, Nike's partnership, again, has been fantastic. We all know about the yellow wristbands. I know about the Live Strong shoes and apparel and the line that they sell with proceeds going to the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Are there other companies that are stepping up as Nike has, and what should we look for with some of these other partners in the future? Yeah, you know, obviously you have to give Nike credit for so much of this because they've been such a strong supporter. And you mentioned the, the, the new apparel line, the Live Strong Collection, um, you know, from my standpoint as a, a, an executive of a nonprofit, um, it's never I've never seen a company step up the way Nike has in terms of you know, donating 100 uh, percent of their profits from that line to the foundation. And, and for that, we're grateful. And what we've seen is um, the strong uh, cause marketing brand uh, awareness of Livestrong and, and Lance himself uh, is, is really driving other companies to want to get involved and uh, whether it's our partnership with American Century Investments um, or our um, partnership with Oakley uh, Sunglasses. I mean, we are very fortunate to have the support of so many great companies, um, and we look forward to, to more in the future. Doug, I think you personally have a tremendous story. I know Lance has an amazing story, and I'll tell you, I'm rooting for you guys, and I, I wish you the best of luck in the future. Well, I appreciate it, and I think, thanks for having me on, and uh, it's going to be exciting. Okay, we'll catch up with you soon. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. 
When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. He's in his 24th year as the NBA Commissioner. Commissioner Stern, thanks so much for being gracious to join us once again on the show. It's my pleasure. Commissioner Stern, it's been another successful season for the NBA attendance-wise. TV ratings are up. We saw some big names change uniforms, which always makes things more interesting. Looking back on this past season, uh, what are some of the highlights for you? Well, I think you have to start with the um, with the, just the basketball being played in the West. The, the race in the West was probably the most competitive in our history, where a, a very successful team like Golden State, with 48 wins, didn't even make the playoffs. Right. I'd say the um, the All Star Weekend in New Orleans, which was, I think, a wonderful showpiece for the city of New Orleans and the state of Louisiana, and really made all of our guests feel good as they contributed to the rebuilding of this great American city, and really the continued emergence of the young stars. The uh, there are just so many, and many of them are getting a chance to shine in the playoffs, who are, uh, you know, making their mark on the NBA, together with the not-so-young stars, uh, the Kobe's, Shaq's, Kevin Garnett's, and the like, and uh, Tim Duncan's, and then the enormous uh, continued success of the international players, demonstrating that this game really is very much a global game. You know, coming into the season, the Tim Donaghy situation was a big story. But I've got to tell you, when you look at the textbook for how to handle a crisis PR situation, I thought you were brilliant. You immediately addressed the situation. You've been as transparent as possible. Since then, it's really been a non-story. I'm sure this had to have been a wake-up call for NBA and for the security of the sports leagues around the country. Have you talked to any of the other sports leagues about security measures, and, and what are you doing to maybe improve those measures in light of what happened with Donaghy? Well, we we are, and I know other leagues are too, stepping up our background checks and our rechecks of officials, although we had a pretty extensive one in place. Uh, we're making it more extensive. We are working hard with respect to making sure that officials are, you know, not given uh, or access to certain pregame information. Um, I'm not sure how how that's going to work its way out, but we're doing that and making sure that they can't contact anybody once they're in their locker rooms ready for the game. Uh, We're announcing 
the identity of officials at the morning of the game rather than making people wait until they uh, uh, they get to the arena or come out on the floor. And generally, in a lot of things that we're not publicizing, uh, making sure that we keep even better track of the betting and a variety of other things that go on in the context of gambling on sporting events. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. Commissioner Stern, let's talk about China for a moment. I had the amazing opportunity to spend time in Beijing last August with Steve Nash, Yao Ming, Carmelo Anthony, Baron Davis, Kobe Bryant, some other guys that were over there raising money for charity. And I've got to tell you, I was absolutely blown away by the NBA's presence in China. Your league and the players are by far... Uh, more visible than any U.S. sports league. You've done an amazing job over there. I know you hired Tim Chin, the former Microsoft executive, to, to run NBA China last October. Is the Olympics approach in August? Tell us about the growth in China. You touched on that a minute ago. Well, you know, we have enormous television exposure in China. We have deals with 51 different stations or networks because that's the way you have to cover that vast country. We have enormous retail relationships. Adidas, our official apparel and shoe supplier, has 4,000 stores of its own, and we now have plans to open up as many as 1,000 NBA-only stores. Um, We have large marketing partnerships with Chinese corporations and global corporations doing business in China, and we uh, play games there. We played in 2004. The U.S. national team played there in 2006. Um, we're going to be playing there this year. Um, so it's, uh, you know, we have events, we have television, we have sponsorships, we have retail, and uh, of great interest to us is the digital marketplace because China recently surpassed the U.S. in the number of Internet users. And... Uh, We do a very robust business digitally in China as well. Let's return to the homeland for a minute. New Orleans, you mentioned one of the nicest moments of the year, the NBA All-Star Weekend. I thought your league did a fantastic job with that, the NBA Cares program. Everyone was out rolling up their sleeves. That was fantastic. Now, I know attendance has been up sharply since the All-Star Game in New Orleans. They've got that clause there that says after next season, if they don't average roughly 14,000 fans a game, they can opt out of their lease agreement. Talk about the long-term uh, potential of basketball in New Orleans. I'm rooting for them in the playoffs. I think what they're doing is fantastic. Chris Paul is such an exciting player as well. Well, they did, in fact, meet their attendance benchmarks. Uh, they had an extraordinary end-of-season run, and now I think they've already sold 2,000 new season tickets for next year. So I think that the benchmark set out in the lease to keep them there are going to be met, and that's very exciting for us. Well, you and your league deserve a lot of credit for what's going on there. I mean, again, you guys have done an amazing job over there. You didn't give up, and uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah. And George Shin and Hugh Weber and Chad Shin and the entire group that runs that club have been out there arduously working. The government agencies, the uh, uh, development authorities, the corporate community, and the fans. And it's really quite rewarding to see the community rally around the team the way they have and to realize the benefit that comes from having uh, New Orleans showcased to the world on an ongoing basis 41 times a year when the teams visit 
and even the mention, the very mention of the team when they're on the road another 41 times plus playoffs. So it's a good, it's a good marriage, and we hope very much to remain in New Orleans. Commissioner Stern, a few months ago, Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver joined me on this show, and we discussed the controversy surrounding last season's suspensions of Amari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw. Something I wanted to clarify with you. I asked him if he made any motion at the Board of Governors meetings to revisit the leaving the bench rule, and he said that particular rule was not a rule that the owners could vote to change. Only the league could change that rule. Can you set the record straight and talk about maybe what rules can be changed by the owners and what rules are rules that can only be governed by the the league office? I would say that there's nothing that, that I do or that we do that isn't subject to a change and direction by the NBA Board of Governors. They control completely uh, what we do at the league office. We get all of our power from them. It is true that we uh, have implemented this rule, but if the board voted to change that rule and said they didn't want us to implement it that way, we would. Indeed, strangely enough, we went to the... um, to the competition committee after this event and we said do you want to make a proposal to change this rule to the make a proposal to the board of governors and they said absolutely not don't do don't change a thing we all know what the rule is it's there to protect the players and uh, both the players on the court and the players who would run out to mix it up and, uh, and so no change was made well, I think that was a wake-up call for players, coaches, and everyone else because that rule hasn't uh, been broken since. I want to talk to you just quickly about the NBA, the NCAA. You have a new partnership. Uh, I saw you at a press conference with NCAA President Dr. Miles Brand. How is this partnership going to change the way basketball is organized in this country? Probably not a lot uh, in the short run, and we'll just have to await the longer-term results. But But we think that the coalition of... USA Basketball, the AAU, the National Federation of State High School Associations, the NBA, the NCAA, the Athletic Shoe and Apparel Companies, and the Coaches Associations have the capacity to change for the better, um, you know, the training of our youngsters in high school and the like, the summer programs they have, the certifications of the coaches and the referees, and also a focus on elite athletes to help them better prepare for life after basketball or a life with basketball if they're lucky enough to get scholarships collegiately. And so this is a very broad program with all of the stakeholders coming together to see what uh, what we can do to improve it. It may take a while because there are no magic bullets here, but we'll see what happens. There were some whispers that the minimum age requirement may be you got to stay in college for two years now. I personally think that would be a good rule. Uh, do you think that's something that may happen as part of this uh, partnership? No, it can't, it's, this partnership is not relevant to that. That's a subject for collective bargaining between the NBA and its Players Association. And that agreement is not currently open to bargaining for three more years. Okay, last question. I know you're a politically-minded person. I want to go back to China for a minute. The Olympics take place in Beijing in August. Obviously, there's a substantial amount of controversy around the host country's policies around the world, specifically in Tibet and Darfur. You know, some political leaders have discussed skipping the opening ceremonies in protest of China's policies. 
I want to get your take. Should we leave politics and Olympics and the athletes and the competition separate, or do you think this is a good platform for politics to be discussed? I think it becomes a good platform for politics. I wouldn't say politics, but policies to be discussed, whether it's by the nature of protest or the nature of large discussions that deal with things somehow tangentially related to the Olympics. I, you know, I think that's a, a very American way, and I think that's absolutely fine. I'm not sure that it should ever turn violent, um, and I don't know that boycotts of games themselves are a good tool because it seems to be the consensus that the Olympic boycotts of Moscow and Los Angeles harmed only the athletes and didn't achieve any other particular result. Uh, so it's really a very interesting uh, subject, but I think that people should be encouraged to speak out. I think that uh, I think that the Olympics, you know, we're always going to have policy discussions around them, uh, but I but I think that. I'd give them the benefit of the doubt in their staging because this is an event like all sports and cultural events that have the capacity to bring people together rather than to separate them. Will you be attending the Olympics? I will be attending um, the end of the Olympics or some part of it as hopefully to see the U.S. win the gold medal in basketball. Right. Speaking as an American rather than the NBA commissioner. Well, they've got China in round one. That's a tough matchup right out of the chute. Well, it's interesting, but you know, it, it's not a. It's, in round one, it's not a. It's not a single elimination. Right. So uh, you know, so uh, everyone's feeling everyone else out uh, in round one, and I think they play under the under the FIBA format, which is not the most uh, progressive one. I think you play. I think you play for a year and you eliminate two teams. <laughs> And then you play for another year. You know, this is the basketball competition is really the, I think it's the longest competition in the Olympics. Yeah, I think you're right. Commissioner Stern, you're always gracious to join us. I really appreciate you uh, making time and best of luck with the playoffs in the year ahead. Thank you, Brian. It's always a pleasure. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with our final segment on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Well, as we said, the NBA season got underway this week, and many teams in the sports world, when their seasons begin, they have slogans. I've never been a big fan of slogans and 
labeling your team, but let me read a few of the slogans that NBA teams have come up with. The Charlotte Bobcats play the right way. The Milwaukee Bucks ready to rise. Kind of sounds similar to the Portland Trailblazers rise with us, which was their campaign slogan last year. The Bulls love it live. The Cleveland Cavaliers get pumped. The Celtics, fittingly enough, 17-time world champions. The Clippers play loud. How do you play loud? The Mavericks, rowdy, proud, and loud. The Pacers, passion, pride, Pacers. The Pistons, we work as one. That seems fitting for Detroit, a blue-collar city. You know, there were several teams that had no uh, slogans at all. The Sacramento Kings, the New York Knicks, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Phoenix Suns, the Oklahoma City Thunder, interestingly enough, new to their market, no slogan at all. And the Golden State Warriors, the Magic, 20 fantastic seasons, the Washington Wizards, Washington Wizards, character, commitment, and connection. The Toronto Raptors, my game is Raptors basketball. The Rockets, get red. The 76ers, run with us. The Spurs, come together. The Nuggets, can you feel it? The Nets, more than a game. This may be the worst one of all. The Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta Hawks basketball. Now you know. (laughs) I mean, Bobby, it's amazing to me that companies are paid lots of money to come up with these slogans, and this is what we get. You know, I wish the Clippers would have been We Live in the Cellar. That would have been great. All right, lots of thank yous on our show this week. Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger, our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to SportsBusinessRadio.com and clicking on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a tremendous week. Hope you enjoy opening week of the NBA season, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.